Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to Revelation. Today we're going to look at Revelation 21, 1 to 5. And then next week, uh, Sam and Andrea are going to clean up my mess. And they're going to preach Revelation 21 and 22 in its entirety. So uh, they gave me four verses this week. Let's uh, go ahead and ask God to uh, guide our time. Father God, as we continue to look at our misunderstood, misapplied, miscited passages in Scripture, we ask that you would give us clarity, especially this morning as we talk about heaven. Lord, we readily confess that the Bible mentions the place often, but gives us few details. But help us to mine the details that are given, that we might have great anticipation, joy, knowing that to be absent from the body is indeed to be present with the Lord if we know Jesus. Father, guide us, we ask, in the name of Christ. Amen. The prince and the princess. It's a wonderful tale. Have you read it? Do you have a copy? Have you read it to your children and your grandchildren? If not, let me give you the cliff notes this morning. The prince is unlike any other prince. Oh, he's not imaginary. He's real. And he is stupendous. And the princess, oh, you know how these books are. The princess is beautiful. Except when she's not. She is sometimes stunningly beautiful, but sometimes she's ugly. Sometimes she's downright homely. I know that's not polite to say, but it is the truth. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her. She's got a rap sheet. She's done some pretty shameful things. If you knew what she has done, you would blush You'd be embarrassed. You'd hide it too. And you know what's more stunning? The prince knows it all. The prince is aware of the skeletons in the princess's closet. He knows what she's done. She's still the princess-to-be. He's still going to marry her. It's going to be a stupendous wedding. But first, he has to go away. He's busy. He's a prince. He's got places to go and people to see. He's got things to do. So he says to the princess, he says, we're both going to be faithful in the interim. And she readily agrees. He says to her, we're going to focus on one another. Think about one another. Think about the happy ever afters that we're going to someday have together. And she readily agrees. And then the prince goes away, and it's shameful. Sometimes the princess doesn't think about the prince all day long. Sometimes the princess doesn't do the things that she promised. Sometimes she adds to the rap sheet. It's embarrassing. Well, by now you know my parable. You figured it out. 
The prince is Jesus. And the princess is the bride, the church. And sometimes it's stunningly beautiful. Thank you for your part in that. Sometimes it's a little ugly, the eight o'clock hour. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's had better moments. And we all have a rap sheet. There's nobody in this room that doesn't have skeletons. There's nobody in this room that wouldn't blush if what we've thought, what we've done, what we've said, how we've said it, weren't revealed to others. And yet the prince who has gone away, he has gone into heaven and he's coming back. He says, think about me, be faithful to me. I'm coming back. And he is. We talk about the rapture, the parousia, the coming of Christ, he's coming back. He says, I'm coming like a thief in the night, like birth pangs upon a pregnant woman. Two will be walking and one will be taken. I'm coming, he says, be ready. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. It might be next week. It might be in a thousand years. I don't know. He's coming. He says to have your light shine, to be salt and light, to have your lamp trimmed. He's coming. Are you ready? He's coming. We're in our miscited, misquoted, misunderstood text. A number of weeks ago, I don't know, it was five, six, seven weeks ago. It was right back there, actually. A teen girl from Highland came back and she said, you know, I don't think we think enough about heaven. Can you preach on heaven in this series? And I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to add a sermon. By the way, I don't do that. Please don't ask me. (laughs) There are far too many of you and only one of me. But she actually asked me during a series that I could add a sermon. So I added a sermon. This is the sermon. Because sometimes I think we do misunderstand, misapply, or, or just don't live out our desire for what's coming next. We're too enraptured with here and now. We think this is too good. And we don't realize what is to come is so much better. I want to pick up in our text in Revelation chapter 21. I want to read verses 1 to 4 and a little bit of verse 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. Just stop there for a moment. What do seas do? They divide. What is the world we live in all about? Divide. We divide over skin color. We divide over ethnicity. We divide over economics. We divide over nationality. We divide over political persuasion. We divide all over the place. That's the world we live in. No wonder Paul tells us in Romans chapter one, that the world that God created good, God said that a half a dozen times in Genesis one to three, what he created is good. But in Romans one, we discover that what is good groans, it's in travail. It's not so good anymore because of our sin, because of our divide. But what we're looking forward to when we leave this earth is a place without divide, 
a place of unity, a place of peace, a place of joy, a place unlike here. Those first earth and heaven had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things that passed away. And then a phrase in verse five, behold, I am making all things new. As you and I begin, perhaps we ought to introduce ourselves to who our author is. Our human author, writing under the inspiration of God. Remember 1 Peter 1, 21. Scripture never had its origin in the will of man, but men carried along by the Spirit. Who was the man carried along by the Spirit? It was John. Not just any John, it was the beloved John. One of the inner three, the triumvirate. James and John, the sons of Zebedee and Peter, it's John, the beloved disciple. And he is given an incredible vision. He's gonna write the vision to the seven churches of Asia, Revelation two and three. Then he'll be in the throne room of God, chapters four and five. Then he'll see what's gonna happen during the seven years of the great tribulation, chapters six to 18. Then he'll see the return of Christ and the destruction in 19 and the millennial reign in 20. And then the new heavens and the new earth in 21 and 22. Let me just read a, a quick summary of it. Revelation 1, 9 to 11. I, John, the beloved disciple, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. I was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's there because he stood up for Christ and they arrested him. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I think he's praying and, and sometimes we read in scripture that we don't know what to pray and God's spirit prays with groans too deep for us to understand. That's what's going on. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches, Revelation 2 and 3, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Let me just give us a little background John is the beloved disciple, right? He's one of those triumphant. He's one of the three. You got Peter and James and John, the sons of, of uh, Zebedee. They're the inner circle of Christ. And John, because of the gospel of Jesus, is now on the island of Patmos. I think he's 81 years old. I think he is on the island of Patmos because of his faith in Christ, that's what the text says. This is a penal colony. The island of Patmos is 13 miles long. Today it is owned by Greece. It has 3,000 permanent inhabitants. It's just off the coast of Turkey. It was a time period and a time capsule 2,000 years ago in which you would go there and you would, you would mine pyrite and chlorite, you would dig in the bowels of the earth 
And you'd only go there if you were part of a chain gang. Domitian is the emperor. He was a tyrant. 80, 81, and 96, probably worse than narrow. He was a tyrant towards those who followed Christ. And John is there. If Tertullian, the African theologian and historian, is to believe in, in the second century, just prior to going there, he was thrown in a cauldron. John was thrown in a cauldron, a big pot of oil and burned. We have an 81-year-old whose body is covered with boils. He's in a chain gang in the bowels of the earth. He's imprisoned under Domitian because of his faith, because of the word of God, because of Jesus Christ. His support group is long dead. You know that, right? There were 13 disciples, 12 plus one more, right? Matthias. They're dead. His brother, James. James died four centuries earlier in AD 44, Acts chapter 12, martyred for the faith under Herod Agrippa I. Peter, his other buddy, he died under Nero in AD 64, crucified upside down on a cross. The last apostle to die prior to John, well, that was... Simon the Zealot. That was a dozen years earlier, crucified under the governor of Syria. They're all gone. He's broken. His body is covered in boils. He's working on a chain gang under one of the most vile Roman emperors, to oppose Christianity in history. He's got no support. And he's longing to go to heaven. I picture him thinking of 2 Corinthians 5, 8. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I picture him thinking of Philippians 1, 21. For me to live as Christ, it's advantageous to the kingdom now, but to die is gain. When we do a service of a believer in Jesus Christ, a funeral service, it's not a funeral dirge. It's a celebration. We grieve for ourselves. We rejoice for the sister or brother. She has gone home. It's all gain. It's beyond what we could ever, ever imagine. I've had the privilege of doing a number of weddings, probably a couple hundred at this point. And before I do a wedding, uh, I do premarital counseling, and it's happened at least twice. It might be more than that, but I remember two of them. I was with the couple, and somehow during the premarital counseling, we were talking about heaven, and it happened twice. It's always the guy. Always the guy. He says, man, I can't wait for Jesus to return. I just hope it's after the honeymoon. <laughs> I get it, but... But even that, he doesn't understand. We don't understand how much infinitely better there is from here. So what of this heaven? What do we know? Well, it's kind of surprising, but the new heaven and the new earth, which I take to be heaven, has continuity 
and discontinuity. I'm going to put it in stark terms. I imagine somebody is going to email me tomorrow about this, but that's okay. I can live with that. I don't know if you've read the Harry Potter series. You all are muggles. Muggles are on this earth and you don't get to see what goes beyond this earth. And I have this feeling, it's just my thought. If you followed the author of the Harry Potter series, she is a bold Christ follower. She is a bold Christ follower who is utterly being persecuted in England for her faith, for her morals. And I think, this is just my own opinion, I think she's a C.S. Lewis. I think if you read through the Harry Potter series, she has a lot of biblical imagery. On the earth, you have the muggles, the humans, who can't see that there is another dimension going on all around us. That's exactly what Scripture is going to teach. John 14, 1 to 6, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again so that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way. And you remember the rest of the passage. Jesus has already created heaven. And yet we're going to learn today that heaven has a lot of continuity with where we are. That means that there is another realm, another element that we don't see and don't know that is here that is a part of our everlasting, the new heaven and the new earth. I want to make that case. Whether I got the Harry Potter thing right, I have no idea. But she has the same concept that is actually given to us in Scripture. Now, some people, I think reading 2 Peter 3.10, believes that what we have here is going to be destroyed. Let me read 2 Peter 3.10. I'm reading it out of context. I'm going to put it in context in a few moments. But the day of the Lord, that is the return of Christ. The day of the Lord is the judgment of Christ. It's a, it's a term out of the, the prophets of the Old Testament. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. He's coming. Be ready, be prepared, he's coming. He'll come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are on, done on it will be exposed. If you read that out of context, you say, okay, what we got here is gonna be destroyed. Maybe it'll be an ecological disaster. Maybe it'll be a nuclear disaster. Maybe God will destroy it, it's gone. But again, I'm gonna put this in context in a moment. I don't think that's what... Revelation 21 or 2 Peter 3 actually teaches. In Revelation 21 verse 1, it says that this world will pass away, par elthon. It's a word that doesn't mean extinction. It doesn't mean annihilation. It means renewal. The pass away means that we got this ball and it's really going to have some serious work done it and it's going to be infinitely, many times greater. The word new for new heaven and new earth is kainos. It's not neos. If it were neos, it would mean brand new. Kainos means renew. There's continuity between what we have and what we will have. It's going to be infinitely better. Infinitely better. 
but there's going to be continuity. It's not going to be destroyed. It's kind of like the show Dream Home Makeover. I've never watched it, just read it. But I understand it's a couple and they got some fixer uppers and they make it something spectacular. This is a fixer upper. What we got now is a fixer upper. Oh, God created it good. He tells us that a half a dozen times. But because of sin, it groans. It's in travail. That's what Romans 1 says. What God created as good is groaning. It's in travail. We need to be light because it's dark. And it's getting darker and darker. But God's going to do something to renew it, to go beyond the good to something stupendous, something great. You remember the Mercy Me song? It says, uh, I can only imagine. I use it sometimes in funeral services, but the truth is you can't and I can't. We can't imagine. We don't have vocabulary. I think one of the reasons we have very little about the details of heaven is how can you tell what heaven is like with our limited vocabulary, our limited experience. It's beyond what we can ever envision, imagine. Expect. It's so much better. I'm going to be silly for a moment and then I'm going to get serious. I think heaven is going to be filled with bacon and there will be no calories with it. If you like, if you like snow powder, it'll be powder to your heart's delight. There will be no snow in my part of heaven. We're going to have golf courses that I can actually par. And I'm going to be drinking them umbrella drinks. Mine's going to be a virgin pina colada with extra pineapple, shaken, not stirred. I can hardly wait to be in this place. But what does scripture say? 1 John 3, 2, beloved. It's an incredible verse. Listen to it. 1 John 3, 2, beloved. That is born again Christian. One who has given one's life to Jesus. Beloved. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, grasp this, we shall be like him. Whoa. We shall be like him because we will see him as he is. How will we be like Jesus? Let me offer a few thoughts. We're going to have a glorified body. If you read in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 9, what we have now, the Bible calls an earthly tent. Tents deteriorate, tents fall apart, tents get smelly. They don't last. If we die before Jesus returns and we know Jesus, we are going to be naked. That's the language given. That is our soul spirit will go into the presence of God without a body. It's so much better than what we've got. And then we will be overclothed. That's the last part of 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 9. We're getting a resurrected body. Paul tells us that it will occur at the trumpet of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4. The dead in Christ, our bodies in Christ 
will precede we who are alive and he will resurrect what is perishable and make it imperishable. What is mortal will be raised immortal, 1 Corinthians 15. And we will have resurrected bodies that are incapable of sin. What a great day that will be. There'll be continuity and discontinuity. Similarity and dissimilarity. I'm going to be about 6'6". I'm going to have dark skin, no longer have skin cancer. I am going to be able to dunk a basketball. Look for the guy who's dunking. That will be me. We're going to have resurrected bodies. But what else will we have? We will have sinless bodies. How do we know that? Revelation 21.4. There's no more death, no more mourning. Where did death come from? Romans 5.12, death came because of sin. If there's no more death, there is no more sin. We will be in an utterly sinless environment. There will be no groaning. There will be no mourning There will be no travail on where we're going. It will be a place without pain, no more mourning. It's going to be filled with joy. Satisfaction. Listen to Isaiah 65, 17 and 18. See, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things, listen to this, will not be remembered. Do you suffer with depression? It's not going to be remembered. Do you suffer with anxiety? You're not going to remember it. Do you struggle with worry? It's gone. Do you have relationship challenges? They're over. Do you and I struggle with pernicious sin? We won't even remember it. Do we have sadness in our heart, loneliness, fear? It's all gone. All of it, what does it say? The former things will not be remembered, nor will they even come to mind. Be glad, rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Eeyores will be tiggers in heaven forever and ever and ever. In fact, I think the narrative of Revelation 21 uses the language of the Garden of Eden in the first three chapters of Genesis. The implication, not unpurposeful, is that God is going to recreate Eden for us. Eden was paradise. It's not even a Hebrew word. Paradise is a a Persian loan word that described the beautiful gardens of the kings of Persia, the most beautiful place on the earth that pales in comparison to what God will create. Milton's paradise lost will be regained in the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 2 says that this new heaven, this new earth is like a bride adorned for her husband. Is that what we have now? No, we have an earth 
in travail that's groaning. Let me just share a little bit of groaning from 2023. 78 major disasters last year. 59 countries were hit. 340 million people were on the edge of starvation last year. Haiti, Somalia, Afghanistan, I think we would add Yemen, utterly lawless countries without a government functioning. Afghanistan had an earthquake that killed 1.6 million people. Asia, 55,000 people, all made in the Imago Day, all gone. Cholera, we once thought that was almost eradicated. Now is a real threat in 28 countries. One billion people are facing cholera again. Category five cyclone called Mocha destroyed the coastlines of Myanmar and Bangladesh, leaving three and a half million people without portable water. Severe droughts in northern Ethiopia, north and south Sudan, with a civil war to boot. Eastern Africa leave millions in dire need. Eight million people have fled Venezuela, destroying the boundaries of Brazil, Colombia, Peru, and the United States. We have 6.7 million people who have fled the Ukraine. We have 2 million people in the Gaza with nowhere to go. Both those two because of an evil man named Putin and an evil group named Hamas. And I just gave you the thumbnail sketch. This earth is under travail. This earth is groaning once good, very good. But because of sin, very dark. And God wants us to know that if you know Jesus Christ, when you leave this earth, there is something so much better. You can't imagine what it is like. It's a place called heaven. It's beyond imagination. It's like a bride. Again, I've, I've had a front row seat to a lot of brides. The doors swing open. She has her arm on her, her dad or another escort and she comes gliding down. And the boy next to me, he's falling apart. I put my hand on him to hold him up to kind of give him a little bit of stability. I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, I can't believe she said yes. That's what all the rest of us are thinking as well. We can't believe she said yes. Every bride, stunning. And that's every moment of every hour of every day for all of eternity with God. Right now we walk by faith, not by sight. But then we will see Jesus just as he is. We will have physical proximity Christ. He's recreating the Garden of Eden. Is he so dull? Is God so dull that he can't create something that is beyond our wildest imagination? The one who makes every snowflake different? The one who paints the skies with the northern lights? The one who has created 7.8 million species of animals? 
when he sets his mind on creating paradise again, Milton's paradise lost is going to be paradise regained. It will be beyond what we would ever ask, think, imagine. There's a reason we have no descriptions in Scripture. Our language cannot accommodate what God has prepared for his people. Let me just conclude with four thoughts. First, heaven is a place without sin. Our daily need for confession, daily need for confession, will not exist in heaven. I want to illustrate it this way. Let's suppose for a moment you and I are going to fly and we're taking a long trip. We get on a plane, we're going to Heathrow in England. We're going from O'Hare, so it's about eight hours. But man, we bought our ticket really late and we got the cheap seats. We are all the way in the very, very back of the plane, next to the bathrooms. Eight hours of lines. And I don't know how to put this politely, but after eight hours, it doesn't smell like a bed of roses. It's miserable eight hours. We finally arrive at Heathrow, and oh, I forgot to tell you, we're going to Africa. So we got 10 more hours. They're just refueling. You're getting off the plane to refuel, and then you're getting back on. And the steward or stewardess says, oh, there's been a mistake. Not sure how it happened. But with no cost to you, you've been upgraded to first class. Smoking, I mean, you got the white linens, you got the lazy boy that goes back, you got personal service. They're gonna pull that curtain and you don't even need to see the riffraff back there. <laughs> and are you gonna say, no thanks, I wanna be back there next to the bathrooms in coach? Or are you gonna say, no, no, I'm first class material? My friends, we're in coach. It was good. It was good. Now it groans and travail. We don't have anything to compare it with. So it feels really good. But something's coming. If you know Jesus, that is beyond imagination, without sin, paradise regained for all of eternity. Second, it'll be a place with culture unbelievable as we all worship Jesus. I love culture, but it's hard because I'm not very proficient in anything but English. There's barriers, but a day is coming when people from every tribe and tongue and people and language will be worshiping Jesus together. Let me read from Revelation 7 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, before Christ, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Heaven being boring no way. Imagine interacting with people of different eras, different epochs, 
different cultures for all of eternity, worshiping the Lamb together, getting to know all that this great God has done and continues to do. Third, heaven will be beyond our imagination with beauty. Gold will be so cheap you're going to walk on it. It's just macadam in heaven. The gates will be pure pearls. We read in Revelation 21.11 that it's like a jasper stone, clear as a jasper. Have you ever heard of tophite? It's very rare. Tophite, that's a picture of it. There aren't very many of these. It was first discovered in 1945. It was found in Dublin, but it only comes from Sri Lanka. That little stone, even with imperfections, will set you back 35,000 for a carat. It's stunningly beautiful when it's polished. It holds nothing, nothing compared to what Jesus is making. How about the parade of homes? Not my thing, but you probably like it. The best of the parade of homes, that's like a pauper's dwelling, I gotta tell you. This is gonna be beyond imagination, and it's for you if you know Jesus as your personal Savior. And that's the conclusion. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Humans can dwell this earth with our sin because this earth groans, it's in travail, we fit right in. But without our sin problem handled, we cannot go into heaven because heaven is perfect and we are not. Our sin problem handled is God becoming man, Jesus Christ, living a perfect life, fully God, fully man, paying the penalty of sin, which is death, and then conquering death and rising on the third day. If you want to know how bad you, I, we are, just read Romans 3. The nicest verse is all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Read what precedes it. We're not anywhere near as good as we think we are. And because of that sin problem, we deserve death. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, my, our Lord. And then my personal favorite verses for evangelism, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess, you agree with God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, declared righteous, and with the mouth one confesses, and is saved. We need to agree with God, confess our sin. We need to believe that Jesus is the only means of salvation, that he died and took our sin upon himself and rose again. And we ask him to be our savior and Lord. And then we are given eternal life. And if we have eternal life, this, this, this globe is good. It's good. Live life for Christ to the fullest, but look forward to going home. Look forward to going home. It is so much better. Let's pray. Father God, uh, inadequate words, insufficient words, 
insufficient descriptions of what you are creating, have created. Lord, we don't understand all the continuity and discontinuity between this earth and the new heaven and new earth. It's beyond our understanding, but we know that it will be beyond our imagination. Help us to live faithfully while we're here and with anticipation for going there and being with you, your son, your spirit, face to face. Help us to live for your glory. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.